Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Nuggets numbers. I am your host Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It's currently Monday night. Uh, following the great news for Denver Nuggets fans, President of Basketball Operations Tim Connolly is staying in Denver. Kind of decided to forego that option with the Washington Wizards for the same position and is instead remaining with the team that he helped build, the team that he made sure. Uh, was a contender, six years in the organization, has done a great job of coming together with uh, Arturis Karnasovas, Calvin Booth, Michael Malone, Josh Kroenke, and that group is all staying together. Here to comment and here to help me break down some other things is Gordon Gross, Stiff's writer. Gordon, how are you doing, man? Good, man. It's, uh, it's a good day in Nuggets land, so not a lot to complain about. It really is. I, I, I don't think... I don't think Nuggets fans really were very positive about this whole experience. Uh, given the way that the playoffs ended, given the way that everything has kind of boiled down over the last uh, over the last week or so, you kind of got the rumors that Connolly was considering going, and I think that most people would say that's a bad thing, uh, even even though he has had his moments of, of regret here or there. But overall, it's been a really positive thing with Connolly, so I think it's a, it's a great thing that he's staying. Well, and the thing with Connolly, the Nuggets were set up to take care of themselves if he left. They kept Arturis Karnasovas. You know, they last year, the, uh, when the Bucks wanted him, they made an extra position. They promoted Tim Connolly to president of basketball operations just so that they could have a role for Arturis, so that he could stay, so that in case Tim Connolly left later, you had Arturis in the building. So the Nuggets were ready for this. And then... Tim Conway decided that the offer wasn't good enough, that they just could not pry him away from this young team that he had built with his bare hands, you know, to go ahead and, and see what they could do. And I'm glad he's going to be around for the next step. I I don't know. Uh, I mean, like this year, the Nuggets don't have a draft pick currently. So if Tim does most of his damage in the draft, it's going to be harder to do now. On the other hand, he does a lot of his damage in the second round, so what does it matter when he drafts? Um, literally, the greatest way to keep a contender going is to find those late-round, second-round draft picks and just keep striking gold Right. to make sure that you don't have to pay your middle-tier players a bunch of money because you have a guy on a rookie contract who can do it. It's great. That's how you keep a dynasty going. So it's not like drafting is suddenly not useful to the Nuggets. It definitely is. Uh, and then we'll see what we can do with the free agent market. It really is interesting. And, and I want to get to the draft a little bit later, probably a little bit closer to when draft time hits. Uh, yep. But but a food for thought for Nuggets fans out there that are 
looking at the Nuggets situation and seeing that they don't have any picks this year. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. is going to be their first round pick this year, and Jared Vanderbilt is probably going to be their second round pick this year. <laughs> yep. If if you have an option, uh, Philadelphia has four draft picks this year in the second round. They probably aren't going to use all four draft picks. Atlanta has three, maybe four, the last time I counted. Uh, both of those teams are not going to use all of those draft picks. No. So I think that there's and I would expect to buy one. Yeah, like there's that's, definitely that's what an I would option. expect. Uh, and with, like the with, easiest thing in the world to do is to buy a draft pick. It doesn't cost that much. I mean, unless you're Golden State and you're buying it from the Bulls. But, you know, otherwise, it's especially in the second round, it is not that expensive to dry, buy a draft pick. You just put the money out there, you buy, buy the pick, you drop a million bucks or 800 grand or whatever it's going to be, and you pick up your second rounder, and you add whatever talent it is that your guys really like, whether that's a draft and stash overseas whether that's a guy on an injury contract who could be interesting to you, whatever it is, like whatever guy that you find that you really like, you just buy one and you take him. It's not complicated, and I expect the Nuggets to do that. They have, and and they've done a really good job over that over the last six years. Uh, I want to keep talking about Connolly. We're going to get into Michael Porter Jr. a little bit later, Jamal Murray. I I just wrote an article about Jamal Murray. Uh, I want to get into the – thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, want to get into the Paul Millsap decision that's going to affect the Nuggets with Gordon really briefly, and then we'll get into some free agency targets at the end of this podcast. Uh, there will be some nug- Nuggets numbers thrown into this, but uh, it just doesn't seem like the right time, given that there's a lot of news. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of options to just talk about Denver. Uh, well, and if the Nuggets, you know, we're talking. You can talk numbers all you want, but the numbers are going to be there. The Nuggets the numbers are not changing. Right, you know, until next October. So <laughs> yeah, we have time I, to talk all the numbers we want to talk. I have to stretch out my content, guys. You guys all That's know correct. this. Like this is the the way to not burn out is to not push everything into the first few days after the off season. So we'll get, work. we will get to it all. But first, I want to talk to you about Connolly more in depth. Connolly, Arturis Karnasovas, and Calvin Booth have all had their interest, as we talked about. Uh, they've created new positions for those guys to make sure that they hold on to them. All three of those guys have been contacted by other teams in the past 12 months, uh, which is which says a lot, I think, yeah. about Denver's culture. What do you think? No, I agree. Um, and about their, not just the culture, but also the depth of talent. Um, there aren't a lot of teams that can get, you know, third and fourth guys on the, on the front office depth chart to be getting legitimate, uh, GM interviews. Uh, I mean, it reminds me of the Spurs, really. And yeah. that's if you're talking about an organizational uh, depth chart you want to emulate, it would be the Spurs. It's hard not to see the parallels there. Uh, the Spurs, for years and years, have had guys that that teams have been poaching coaches off of, and and you see that a little bit with Denver over the last few years too. They've had assistant coaches that have gone their separate ways, and and some of that may have been monetarily related, but a lot of it is just because those guys are good coaches and they have opportunities to continue progressing within their careers. And the Nuggets have fostered that. They've said, "Hey, look, we we're building something great here, but if you have an opportunity." Go explore it. They said it with Tim. They, I think they let Archuris uh, have an opportunity. They they had Calvin Booth. He was interested in the Minnesota GM position, and they were interested in him for a while. Uh, they've really drawn a great rep 
around the NBA over the past few years. Uh, Connolly has been with Denver for six full years now. Do you remember yeah. what you were doing six years ago? Um, about this time, I was probably cursing out the Nuggets for like <laughs> losing Ujiri and uh, screwing up George Carl. So you know, times have changed. Times have changed. Yeah, um, I think the hardest of those years was probably the fourteen fifteen season with Shaw. Uh, Shaw, we've got Brian Shaw, just wrapping scouting reports out to the younger players. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic was the only bright spot that year. Imagine saying that in twenty nineteen now. Uh, well, he was. I mean, and he's a, he's a bright spot now for the the Blazers too. Like the use of Nurkic was we were hanging hats on that guy. And what's amazing is finding a better center than Nurkic to build a team around was you know a godsend. Did you know that a future top ten player in the NBA was on the roster at that point, or at least under team control? Uh, I did not. I mean, I knew who he <laughs> was, but that's not the same thing. It's crazy. I. I don't think any Stiffs writer truly knew what he was, but there was a lot of talk within the Stiffs writing community and the yeah the on we the were high online on him. comments. Like I think everybody was pretty high on him as a rotation player, at least. Like he just the things Correct. that he was doing was. I thought he was going to be a good amazing. backup to Nurkic. Like yeah. that's well, I was like, hey, look, a center who can rebound, pass, and shoot from outside—that'll be a really nice backup center. Nothing wrong with that. That's, you know, that guy can play in the NBA, give him 15, 20 minutes, we'll call it good. 100%. That's a, that's a really good pick with a second rounder. Are you sold on Connolly as the guy that can take the Nuggets over the top? Uh, the interesting part about that is that he might have already done that. Yeah. Like, if, if Jamal Murray becomes Dame Willard and Michael Porter Jr. becomes... Whatever Michael Porter Jr. is going to be, which I assume is, you know, something like, um, I, I've said Super Gallo in the past. Yeah. You know, but what, whatever non-KD, good shooting, you know, uh, small forward, power forward combo you like, this team is set, man. Like, that's... That's really good. You add a couple defenders, you find some sort of Pat Beverly guy who can really annoy opposing ball hunters in the playoffs. You find a defensive wing, you get a rebounding forward, you know, who can rough some guys up, and you call it a day. Like, you go out there and you just go, each of those guys puts up 25, 30 a night, you're good. You know, it's what are you worried about? Kind of crazy to say that, honestly. So, he, so like, as, as far as getting the rest, like, the rest is getting pieces, man. Mm-hmm. The rest is, can I can I sign a guy for the MLE? You know, which the Nuggets have never tried before uh, with this group, and I think that they'll have yeah. better success than a lot of people are thinking. Uh, like we've like we've talked about, the Nuggets are building a great culture. Uh, they've got yep. one of the best passers in the NBA, Nikola Jokic, and he was probably the best player in the playoffs through the first two rounds of the playoffs. So the, he's definitely getting the word out there, and the Nuggets are definitely projecting confidence for upcoming free agents. So we'll definitely get to that for sure. I think I'm confident that he's going to take them over the top two. I think the odds that the Nuggets uh, that the Nuggets make a finals is better than not making the finals over the course of the next five years, or we'll call it four years yes. with, with Jokic's contract. I think that it's actually really good uh, just based off of kind of the adversity and the aging curve that some of the current teams are, are undergoing right now. Correct. I agree with that. 
Um, if you're looking at teams that can, you know, cause them trouble in the West in a seven-game series, if they continue to improve along this line, it's not a lot. Like, there are guys who can be a handful. There are guys, if it's an injury year, the Nuggets could be down. But there aren't a lot of teams in the West currently that should scare Nuggets fans. The ones that do are the ones that already do, which is basically Houston and Golden State. Yeah, it's um, going to be interesting. Uh, what do you think of uh, of Utah as kind of a, an upcoming power? I was going to name them, um, actually, because mostly because they have a center who can cause Jokic problems inside. Right. Very few teams have that because Jokic is just this weird rubber guy who hits floaters doesn't struggle um, against too many um, interior opponents. Now, I'm occasional against Nurkic because he and Nurkic have always played against each other that way. But really, it's... Gobert is the only guy who forces him to think about what he's going to do inside. Um, and so that gives them a shot. But the Jazz have their own problems, man. They have their own problems shooting. They have their own problems um, recruiting free efficient. Agents. Recruiting free agency Utah is tough because it is the land of white people. <laughs> like, I don't know if I I'm pretty sure that's that on the far, sign. Yeah, I think yeah, I agree. It, no, no, I mean it's not it's not me. That's what NBA players say. Wow, mm-hmm. it is really white in Utah. Yeah, like a lot of guys have enjoyed playing there uh, once they got there, but you don't normally sign on there if you have other options. Usually, you get drafted there and find out that you like it. The Russell Westbrook unless you're Trey really, Wiles, then you don't like yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. The Russell Westbrook like thing was was a little bit crazy. Uh, yes, this year just just I think that really showed just kind of what the culture is down there, and and Russell Westbrook has had problems in Denver in the past, but I don't think it's anywhere near the uh, the veracity or or the the anger of of what fans in Utah really possess. Well, and the problem is the Utah guys, they're so loyal to their team. Yeah. Um, and they have a, I mean, they really do. Utah has such a great atmosphere in yeah, the building. Yeah, it's great. It really like, is. Like, it's, it's, it's very electric. much like Portland because it's, it's the only gig in town. And so everybody shows up. Well, I mean, Portland has the Sounders. Uh, oh, that's but, true. like, or the, the Tim, sorry, the Timbers, the their soccer team. Yeah, no, I got you. Uh, but, like, it's, it's unbelievable to me the, the amount of, um, is sustained volume you can get out of Utah. Um, and so their fans will cross the line. They uh, the opposing players say it. Like, that's not something that they aren't aware of. Um, but it's... It's tough for them to go ahead and get those free agents because they've gone into Utah and played against them. Honestly. Like, you know who's who the fan base is. And you know... Um, what the town is like. You've been there. Um, I think the and, you know are... it's, it's a place you can't get a drink. It's a place you can't. Uh, they they don't exactly have a bunch of clubs bumping in, in downtown Salt Lake. Like it's one of the things that Denver has had to work against forever, being a cow town. Yeah. And honestly, the hipsterization of Denver is helping Denver in in having more to do in Denver than there used to be, because for a long time there was nothing. There was nothing. It was just cowboy hats and uh, country bars, man. Like, it was not a good sell. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with that. It's going to be interesting to see how that progresses. I really think that because of what Denver is doing as a city right now, 
just how how progressive if things have gone and how clearly uh, younger the the audience has been. I think that's going to really bode well. People are going to start realizing that Denver is a great city to be not just on the court, but off the court. Uh, it's a beautiful place, and, and NBA players are going to want to take advantage of that at some point, too. Um, well, and I think it's I mean, easier when you compete, man. Like, Utah did fine when they had Stockton and Malone, and you could convince mid-tier guys to show up there. Uh, not necessarily premier free agents, but you could get your mid-tier guys because they wanted to try for a ship. They wanted to go, right. you know, get a ring or, you know, try and compete in the finals. And they had their shot there forever under Jerry Sloan. Yeah, like you got um, Jeff Hornacek there for for that reason. Like, correct. I mean, those are those are the the uh, that's what Denver aspires to really is to get those mid level guys. It would be great to have the the top tier free agents, uh, but they don't usually come to Utah. They haven't gone to Portland either. You know, like nobody does that. They they stay out of those smaller venues and Denver currently has been a smaller venue. The question is whether somebody wants to come to Denver and be made into the focal point by the player Jokic who would love to make anybody a focal point because as long as it's it's not him. And so everybody's going to look better here. You're going to look better on the court, you're going to look better off the court. Do you want to be the vocal guy in the media? Terrific. There's a huge opening for that here. You know, uh, there are there are chances um, that are going to be available to free agents. You just have to find one who enjoys the team and the atmosphere and the city and would like to give it a shot. It's going to be interesting. I, I think there are definitely guys like that that Denver, that Denver can go get. Uh, maybe guys who are just wanting to work and wanting to win and they see – they see Denver as an upcoming destination and, and in a really great position to compete for a championship, and they just want to do that, and that's fine. Like, I think Denver at this point would take the, the championship kind of bandwagon free agents, that yep. the, the David Wests of the world, the guys Roll that, are, on out. Exactly. that are taking the, the minimum amount that they can to go compete for, a, compete for a ring. So we'll see what happens there. I think that Connolly's going to get it done. I think he's going to have to make at least one big move that really kind of crushes him emotionally. I think um, the trade, yeah. I think there's going to be a trade where he's going to have to give up somebody he loves for a better fit. I just think it's going to have to happen. Whether it's this year, I don't think it probably will be this year. I think they'll probably run it back a little more than that. But this year, next year, I expect them to have to make a trade of a player that Connolly is amazingly fond of in order to restructure the roster to better suit Jokic in the playoffs. Because what happened in these playoffs cannot happen again. Yeah, you you have to continue improving, continuously tinkering yep. and, and maneuvering and doing what you can. So, <clears throat> going to be interesting to see. Uh, let's move on really quick to Michael Porter Jr. Uh, I know you heard all of the sound bites that both he had that uh, – that the Nuggets players and kind of the front office and the ownership has really talked about. Uh, Josh Kroenke came onto Altitude Sports Radio earlier today and was singing his praises that there's there's no basketball questions about him. He may be the the most talented player that's walked through the building in a while, which is crazy because Nikola Jokic is here. 
But uh, <laughs> well, I would I I would say is that's that's talented scorer. I think they mean talented scorer. Well, and, and um, you don't you don't hate that if that's something that walks no. through the door. No, I mean uh, literally yeah. the comparison that that I have heard from from at least one person has been mellow, as far as swagger and belief and scoring and. I don't know. I think lack of self-awareness is probably also mellow. I mean, it's... <laughs> that um, feels dangerous to me. Look, man, I'm just telling you, I, Michael Porter Jr., if he is healthy and can stay healthy, it would be a huge addition to this team. I love the fact that um, his teammates are like, wow, you talk a lot for a guy who doesn't get on the court. That makes me happy. Like, I... The Nuggets need some more chippiness. Like, they've got Jamal, and that's... That they got Jamal, really. Uh, Barton, Barton, saucy. That's oh, yeah. that's uh, you know that's another one. I had a I had a but tweet re- last week. I had a tweet last week that was something along the lines of like Michael Porter Jr. Better hope Michael Porter Jr. is as good as Michael Porter Jr. thinks Michael Porter Jr. is. Exactly. It's because it's all about Michael Porter Jr. There. I told you, man. He he's the that whole your ego's writing checks. Your your body can't cash. Well. I really hope he can cash those checks, because if he can cash those checks, the Nuggets are going to make a finals in the next couple of years. That's, like, yeah. that's how important he is to this team at a position of need, as a as a um, secondary or tertiary scorer. Heck, he might be a primary scorer in a couple of years. I don't even know. Do you have expectations? There's no, there's for no him? way to know. Do you have expectations for him in summer league? Uh, my expectation for him is to create highlights. And to show you that he can ball offensively, um, summer league is not the place you play defense. Summer league is the place that, as a six ten, six eleven scorer, you go out there and you score. And I expect that to happen. Uh, the imagery that I keep getting in my head is Kevin Knox, uh, kind of just being a. I think I think Porter's going to be better than Kevin Knox. Don't get me wrong, but. He's a guy who really he showed better be out. better than like, Kevin Knox. Like he was a shot like 30-something percent in Summer League, but people really saw the tools there and were kind of wowed and really masked the fact that he was just an inefficient player and then turned out to be the worst player in the NBA this past year. So I, I hope that Porter is better than Kevin Knox. I think that he probably will be better, and he'll be in a better position to contribute where the Nuggets have guys that can can create for themselves and defenders that can mask some of his deficiencies. But um, I hope that it doesn't turn into that where Porter is basically putting up Kevin Knox like numbers, but looks good doing it. And then people are saying, Oh, it's fine. Well, the problem is, is he hasn't played really organized basketball in a couple of years. So I don't know what to expect from him. I don't know that he knows what to expect from himself. If he's healthy, he'll figure it out. But the amount of five-on-five that he needs to start playing is going to be extreme because he's got to get real whistle situations, real game situations. He's going to have to play full out and go out there and really contribute. Like, he'll hit a rookie wall this year because he hasn't played basketball in two years. Right. You know, like, those things are all going to happen to him. Um, there will be ups, there will be downs. He's going to look great some nights, and some nights he's just going to look like trash, and you're going to wonder. Uh, 
I'm not concerned about that. I really am not. He says that he's healthy. He says he feels great. Not just decent, not good. He says he feels great. Everyone on the team says he feels great. They all said that he could have... Well, I don't know if they all said. He certainly um, said that he could have come back, but that being on the shelf was fine, and he's fine with it, and he's perfectly happy to come out and throw down with Zion. I think I believe him, by the way. Yeah. No, well... I've been saying that the whole time that he if if he was on the correct track he should have been able to come back and he could have come back they just shelved him I'm yeah. fine with that they did the same thing with um, Joel Embiid they did the same thing with Ben Simmons where they said you know what it's not worth it to us to burn this year and have you potentially injure yourself when we don't really need you for our purposes you know and that's fine I I I don't have an issue with it I just would love to see him. If he is the player that he can be, um, I mean, Melo came in and was scoring, what, 18 points a game? Yeah. You know, uh, as a 19-year-old in the league? Well, Porter's going to be 20. You know, uh, he could absolutely put up really large scoring numbers for this team, especially when it has enough players who want to take a back seat. Over-under on 41 games played next year? Uh, overall or in the NBA? Uh, oh, no, next year, like like 2019-20. Uh, say regular season. Um, for the Nuggets, I would say over, but not by a lot. Okay. Um, I still think he's going to get some G League run. I still think that they're going to make sure that he stays, you know, um, playable. Right. Um, I don't know how much G-League run he's going to get. He won't need a lot. He's going to look really good there. Like, Tory Craig will look like a world beater in the in the G-League. Like, I, I expect uh, Michael Porter Jr. to have a legit rotational uh, structure, and I expect him to have a minutes limit also. If you I have expect a them to, to make him no, no, no back-to-backs. You know, no, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, they're going to yeah, baby no, him absolutely. the way that Joel Embiid got babied. That's that, and, and I don't think that they are wrong to do so. So if you have a minutes limit and you have, like, a no back-to-back restriction, do you right. think that he can be the starting small forward next year? Um, By the end of the year, yeah. I don't expect him to come out of the gate as a starting small forward. I don't. But if you... The thing is, if you want Michael Porter to play in the playoffs, then you cannot roll him out of the gate as the starter. Yeah. You've got to baby his minutes to try to avoid the wall. Yeah, I think I agree. I think, uh, and I, I don't even know if I would start him at any point this year. Jamal Murray came off the bench, uh, and he was probably, he was pretty clearly better, I think, than Emmanuel Moutier, and he came off the bench for the entirety of the year outside of the time where the Nuggets were pretty much eliminated from playoff contention right. during his rookie year. And to me, I think that makes sense for Porter uh, just to, yep. you can, you have your consistent minutes. You will get in between 10 and 20 minutes a game, uh, no matter yep. what. And we're going to make sure to run sets for you to make sure that you get your shots and to feel and you're like going you're to play with a the... point guard. Yeah, like, honestly, right. playing with a point center is different than playing with a point guard. If you're trying to work a guy back into a rotation, you want him to play with the point guard, which would be Monte Morris off the bench. 
rather than trying to make him try to figure out how to play with a point center, which he's never done in his whole life. Yeah, I really know, like the idea. And work him into that. I really like the idea of playing with Monte Morris and Mason Plumley. Yeah. Uh, just because uh, Plumley can switch with him defensively, and he can also make plays on the break and, and passing, and Plumley does that thing where he posts up and then flings a pass while he's jumping uh, over to the corner, to the wing, and that's something that I think Porter, once he once he finds a rhythm, then he can get into that. He can get spot up opportunities off of him, off of Monte Morris. Right. Uh, so and look, man, this is, it's, it's all dreaming. Like it's it's all assuming based on what we know about Michael Porter's game, and what we know about how the Nuggets be- like uh, bench plays that he would be a good addition in the way that he would fill that stretch role that they were hoping Wancho would fill this year and didn't, and they were hoping Wilds would fill this year and didn't. Now you would think that Michael Porter Jr. could go in and, and take care of that and make sure that maybe the bench doesn't lose all those points uh, when they're on the court. Going to be interesting. Uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk Jamal Murray. We are back. Nuggets numbers. I have Gordon Gross over here. Uh, gonna talk about Jamal Murray for a little bit. Gonna see what he's uh, see what his third season was all about because I think there are definitely signs of stardom here. Uh, there's definitely an outline for what you want as the second star behind Nikola Jokic, but still need to color in those details a little bit. Still need to wrap up some of those finer points and. And uh, there's one glaring weakness that we'll definitely get to. Uh, wanted to break down these. Uh, we, we're going to get some numbers in here, so I just wanted to give you the basic numbers for. I knew Jamal you couldn't Murray go the, the whole season. podcast. I yeah, knew you couldn't yeah. go. Hey, I mean, it's it's uh it's what I do, man. I, I'm I'm all analysis over here. Um, okay, so we're going to run through the basic numbers. I'm going to give you the the rank uh, among starting point guards next to it. So points per game. 18.2 points, that was ninth among point guards. 4.8 assists was 17th. 4.2 rebounds was 10th. 47.6% on two-point field goals was 18th. 36.7% from three was 11th. And 84.8% from the free throw line was 9th. So... What stands out to you there once I read those to you? Does anything stick out like a sore thumb, or or are you impressed with what you're seeing from him? Honestly, those as far as raw figures, those are those are pretty good, man. I would like him to have a better two point percentage, obviously. Like, a, a part of that is his struggle with um, finishing in traffic, right. Um, that's that's a thing that no Nuggets point guard has been really good at in years. So I understand that issue. Um, but I mean, Jamal Murray's he does fine. If you're looking at a at him as a top 15, top 20 point guard in the league, he's probably there already. And that's saying a lot. Like it's a league of point guards. Yeah, I I agree with you. When I going on that on that kind of the restricted area shots, he's uh. He's down 4% from what he usually shoots 
Uh, he shot 62.1% from 0 to 3 feet in 2017-2018, just 58.3% in this past season. So that's fine. It's not really going to get the job done if you are if you wanted to be on the Stephen Curry level of efficiency. Uh, Steph Curry shoots 65% from that range. Donovan Mitchell, although he's not a point guard, he shoots uh, 61%, 62%. So. Yeah. And that's where you want With, Murray. Like, it is. Yeah. And the problem that Murray has is he's a couple of percentage points low from everywhere on the floor that you would expect him to be great. Even his free throw percentage. His free throw percentage should be higher by a few percentage points. His three-point percentage should be higher by a few percentage points. You watch him play, and you can't figure out why he's not... He's, he's not quite the long-distance assassin that you would expect him to be. He's not quite the... Um, free throw assassin you would expect him to be. It's going to happen, but he's yeah, I, I he's not there yet. There are definitely there are definitely ways that he can improve on the margins. One of the things that he did really well this year was he he worked on his long mid range game. Uh, that was one of the best things that he did. And while you say okay, long mid range, it's not a great shot for efficiency purposes. You're right, but if you do it as well as Jamal did, which he shot. 47 or 46 percent on those shots that's good right. enough that'll that'll get the job done especially when you're looking for shots to close the game or shots to take advantage of an isolation attempt or whatnot right and and the nuggets the nuggets really what they're looking for from Murray um, I one of the things that I really enjoyed that he did this year was figure out how to work in a pick and roll with Jokic um those are those are good things. Um, that's part of what um, they need from him is to be able to be both a ball handler and a and a cutter, uh, depending on who's rolling and who's picking. Yeah. Uh, but really, for Jamal, my concerns with him are still his inconsistency. Man, like it's, and I still think a lot of that has to do with who he's facing and how he plays them. Um, I still think it's a handle problem where some guys really bother him and force him into outside step back shots instead of driving the rim. Yeah, um, I, I can definitely see that. Those are those are definitely good points to make. We I have to continue to push this point though that he's still twenty two. He's actually younger than me. Oh, he's a baby. Was, yeah, yeah. That was that was one of the points that I made in my article. Uh, just like when i'm when i'm considering evaluating evaluating some of these guys i have to remember man i'm 22 what do i really really know about about some of this stuff uh, well and remember and when like, when dame and cj came out man like they were all coming out at 21 22 years old from lehigh and you know steph didn't come into the league at 18 yeah you know steph wasn't a 19 year old you know trying to be a point guard in the nba and it still took him 3 and 4 years to get it together it's very difficult to to assume that responsibility. And one of the things that I pointed out was that you don't have guys that put up those kinds of numbers at his age that also perform on winning teams. Like he he's very good in terms of the points, assists, and and the efficiency with regard to his age. But the only guys that have actually been able to match him in terms of that and doing it on a winning team, Magic Johnson in 1980. LeBron James in 2006 and Kobe Bryant in 2000. So like that's a that's good company to keep. 
right? Well, and the problem is, is that Jokic throws things off. We look at Jokic as this big, goofy idiot, you know, um, and Jokic rolled into the league and has never had a problem. Yeah. He's, he's never struggled. He's never had any trouble really doing whatever he wants to do. His trouble was in understanding that he should do whatever he wants to do. Really? Yeah, it was really just, just his, like, he only got in his own way. Nobody could really stop him. Correct. If he didn't want to shoot today, then maybe he wouldn't score. But if he wanted to score, nobody was slowing him down. Like, it's very, very rare that, that somebody takes him out of his game completely and he is ineffective. Um, whereas Jamal has had this um, this thing where he gets hot for a quarter or hot for a half and then goes cold for three games. You know, um, it's not necessarily his raw numbers, his his points per game that that are troubling. It's the number of really good games that he has and the number of invisible games that he has. I think he's going to figure it out offensively. Like right now, I think Same. I'd put him at around the 10th the best starting point guard offensively right now. Okay. Um, and and that's that says a lot based off of what he's able to do. And, and you, he's only going to get better from here. Uh, he's on gonna figure offense. Out, yeah, on offense. But <laughs> the really, the difference he's going to make is he's, he's probably a bottom 10 starting point guard defensively. You get into the range of guys like uh, he's Lillard, not probably guys man. like he Kemba is. Walker. DJ yeah. Augustine, guys like that, who are just not going. But to they're help small. You. Like yeah. that's what bothers me about it is that those guys are, you know, DJ Augustine. Come on, yeah. Like you know, Kemba Walker is tiny. You know, he's solid, but he's tiny. Like Jamal Murray is a six three dude. Like he should be able to uh, get in front of somebody and slow them down, and he's not doing it. Defensive RPM has him at 73rd out of 102 point guards, which yep. feels feels about right. Feels like yep. like he's he's definitely not in the the worst tier defensively, but he can he can certainly improve on that. And I think he can go one or two ways, um, one of two ways. Excuse me. He can either go the way of improving his quickness and his agility, trying to figure out a way to stick with some of those opposing point guards that that give him a lot of trouble. Uh, Derek White burned him repeatedly, and I don't consider Derek White to be some sort of great athlete. But if if Jamal can continue to hone in his physicality and and his quickness and his agility, then I think that he could grow into somebody who can hound a Derek White or at least neutralize him to the point where he's he's not going off for thirty six points in a in a crucial game three. Right. Uh, the other way to do it is to improve his strength and focus on being a great post defender, making sure that he's not taking advantage of there by a guy like Rodney Hood. Um, right. And in the playoffs, it happened both ways. Like, they literally, both teams said, go find Jamal Murray and score on that guy. That's yeah. how that worked. That's how it went every time. I He, he has that Eric Gordon body where yeah. he's he's a little bit thicker, he's a little bit more stocky. He's not like a he's not wiry like a Lillard or a Curry. Uh and I think that helps him if if you want him to be a post defender more so than it does with quickness. So I, I agree think with that's you. that's the way that I would go is making sure that when he switches onto other guys that he's not going to get back down to oblivion. Um but that could affect his offense. I'm not really sure. Uh, some of the moves that he makes are moves where you want the guy to be lightning quick. You want him to 
get into the lane, knife into the lane, and then make a quick decision with the ball, or you want them to be able to come off the screen and be able to immediately pull up from three, and you have to be pretty skinny and pretty agile to be able to do that. So can Eric Gordon do that at the same rate of a Stephen Curry or Damian Lillard? I don't think so. Uh, But James Harden is also very physical and very big, so he got into the workout room, he got into the gym, and got jacked. James Harden did, so maybe that's the way that that Murray has to go, is he just has to figure out the way to best hone his body and use that to his advantage. And I think that's going to be a huge deal this offseason. Like, this is the year where he decides, do I want to you know, check my diet, slim down, you know, practice my explosive moves, you know, or do I want to tighten my handle, work on my getting stronger, just back down the little guards who are trying to guard me? You know, which way do you want to go? Like, there are all sorts of paths to success as a point guard in the NBA, but you're not going to be both strong and fast and defensive with a great handle like, you can't do all those things this summer, so what are you going to work on? Yeah, like, it's, it's how do you, be How do you want to be good? Yeah? How Like, how would you, uh, what would you prioritize if you were in his position? Handle over everything. Okay. Watching him get stripped late in games is ruthless. Like, it's just awful. If he has a tight handle, he can get away with not having um, the, uh, the quick feet. He can get away with not being able to overpower somebody. You know, he can be sneaky. And that's all offensive, I get that. But that will allow you to handle your business on one end and to bait other people. Um, work on those quick hands. I, you know, Gary Harris gets most of his work done with steals. Yeah. You know, uh, I would love for Jabal to have those quick hands. I would love for that to be – for him to jump passing lanes, for him to – to be a smart point guard, to know where he's supposed to be on the floor, which is, in my opinion, more important than being athletic. You could be athletic as hell, and if you're in the wrong spot, like Malik Beasley, it does not matter. Yeah, that's like, a good point. That's a really good point. And like and he doesn't honestly, have to be a top one percent athlete. I need him to to have better court awareness, to have better control of both sides of the court, offensive and defensive, to know where guys are going to be, to be able to throw an entry pass, to. It's all for me. It's it's mostly uh, to become more cunning rather than more athletic. You know, the guy I thought of there was Mason Plumley, um, as a guy who's just a very athletic dude. Who he's definitely like he's a smart defender, but I don't think he, I don't think he fully grasps the need to be more positional, and especially in the playoffs, that that definitely helped. And you could see a the benefit of a guy like Jokic who wasn't as athletic but knew exactly where to be most of the time and or Millsap yeah and Millsap yeah that's that's a that's a great indicator as well so uh, let's continue here you you're on record saying that you'd rather have J- Drew Holiday on this roster rather than Murray is that correct I am <laughs> is that true I would, get, going... I would get crap for that so thanks but yes no, I'm on it's record fine. saying no, that and I, I don't and I don't believe any different now than I believe then. I, I don't think that anybody would argue that based off of the season that Holiday just had, and if they did, then they're crazy. So then they didn't watch Drew Holiday this year. Yeah. Like, um, is that true going forward for the next four years of Jokic's contract? Probably so. Yes, I think Drew for the next three of those four years at least will probably be better than Murray. I expect that Murray Murray will probably 
overtake him as an overall player after that. Um, I think that Murray's peak is going to be higher than Drew's peak, but Drew is perfect for this team as far as being a point guard who can control the offense, as far as being a defensive, a large point guard who can handle his business on the perimeter, as far as being able to control the, the offense when Jokic is off the floor, which Murray can't do, to being consistent late in games. You know, uh, sometimes you just like the guys who are grinders. Yeah, um, I'm going to push back on that a little bit, actually. I, I think, uh, and and this may be a little bit more optimistic than and a little bit more biased than what is actually in reality, but in the playoffs this year... Denver's offense really fell off the map when both Jokic and Murray were off the floor. When Jokic was on the floor, it was fine. When Murray was on the floor, it was fine. It didn't really experience a major drop-off in the minutes that he played by himself without Jokic. So, what, I think all that, 12 minutes? No, I, I, I have the numbers somewhere, but it, it wasn't actually <laughs> that bad, and it wasn't actually that low of a sample size. So it's going to be interesting to see if that holds, but... Well, my Murray, question to you is still: Is Murray playing with against backups? Um, so, like, that's my my question is: When Jokic is off the floor, and Murray is on the floor, is Murray playing Dame, or is Murray playing you know uh, whoever else he would be playing? Hypothetically, like, in that situation, though, Giroux would also be playing backups. So, and he does that for the Pelicans when when Anthony Davis goes off the floor. So, but, I think yeah, it's, but what I'm saying is, he doesn't situation. have to. Like, if yeah. you could pull Jokic early and get him some early rest and bring him back against backups, and you could change things up, which you cannot do currently, in my opinion, with Jamal Murray as the point guard. Maybe so. Maybe so. You, you, have, I to, you, have, see, you have to deploy him against backups. I still see the Murray-Jokic combo as one of the best combos in the playoffs. They, they yielded the most amount of points and, and they were. the most amount of net points for for any duo pretty much except Absolutely. for except for maybe the like the guys in Milwaukee or something like that. Right. But but uh, I will still tell you, do you want uh, let's put it this way, uh how much are you paying Rodney Hood based off of his playoff performance? Uh not a lot. Right. So you can't both tell me that Rodney Hood's performance in the playoffs does not net him any significant gains and then tell me that Jamal Murray getting hot for four or five games means that it, they've solved the uh, the issue with Jokic being off the floor because Murray can handle it now. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree, but considering what Jamal can do and and not for like it putting aside what he can't do right now. What oh, yeah, he yeah. can do is continue to develop that shot, continue to put the pressure on the defense in ways that Drew just can't. And I uh, agree with that. And and the thing with Murray, the thing with Murray is always, man, when he puts it together, he is going to be a demon. Like when that's that, you know, Steph wasn't Steph either. You know, the first few years in the league, he was good. But he wasn't Steph. I think you can I think you can get enough defense between shooting guard, small forward, power forward, and still be fine as long as Murray continues to make the necessary developments that I think he's going to make. I think he's he's a workout warrior. He's he's definitely humbled by the fact that he shot four of eighteen in the in the last game of the season and, and oh, was he'll, also that'll grind kind of him. 
was also demoralized by Rodney Hood and Derek White and guys like that. So that will change. Uh, Oh, yeah. And and he's uh, the great thing is, is that Malone is here. Malone loves Murray. Murray loves Malone. Malone is a defensive, you know, um, I don't know, Harper. He yeah. he won't let it go. He's a defensive busybody. He, You can be great on offense. He doesn't care if you blow your defensive assignments. And so Murray's going to pick that up. You know, Mike Conley didn't come into the league as Mike Conley either. Like, right. these are the things that you learn as you get to be a veteran point guard. When do I play? Where do I exert my effort on defense? Where do I need to be positioned when the ball is inside and they're going to kick it out? How do I jump that? Where do I stand? Like, the Grizzlies weren't the Grizzlies on on defense because they had the greatest athletes. They had Conley and Gasol, which they were fine, I suppose. You know, but I would not consider them to be top 5% NBA athletes. They were there because they knew where to be. Everybody knew their role, and they filled it. And so for Jamal Murray, knowing where he needs to be on the court on both sides, all of these things that he will get now that he's figuring out how to play with uh, with the ball or without the ball, how to play next to Jokic, how to be in a pick-and-roll with Jokic, how to, you know, all of these steps that he's taking are vital for him uh, increasing his consistency, for him being able to be there game in, game out, same player, same shot maker, same defender, all the time. And that's that's what's going to be really, really fun to watch for Denver the next year or two because I don't think Jamal's going anywhere, honestly. Yeah. I think he's going to hit 25-5 and five next year on 40% from three. I think that's my that's my take right now. 10,000-foot view. Um, and when you get those, those kinds of numbers from your second option, I think that's really, really important. Uh, going to be really interesting to see how that progresses. Um, but we're, we're running pretty long, so we're going to be right back after. When, when we come back, I want to talk about Paul Millsap's decision, and then we're going to get into some free agents briefly. So stick around. Paul Millsap is going to be up for a major decision over the next 30 days, 45 days or so. The Nuggets have an option to give Paul Millsap $30 million during the 2019-20 season, and then he would be an unrestricted free agent beyond that. Or they could try and decline his option to restructure his deal, or they could just destroy just decide to decline and let him walk, and then they would free up $18 million in cap space. Now, there are right. definitely pros and cons to all of those options, but just kind of from a 10,000-foot view right now, which of those options do you think is the most appealing? Well, paying him $30 million next year is not the most appealing. Yeah. Um, I would expect that to not happen. Um... Uh, there's no reason they should have to pay him that much. I would expect him to take a um, a multi-year deal to stick around um, rather than the one-year thirty million and then go. Yeah. Uh, but I don't. I don't expect them to offer him the thirty. Like 
there is almost no reason why you would need to pay Paul Millsap $30 million next year. Yeah, I, I think I agree. And, and considering that he still wants to be around, I think he would make the necessary concessions to do that too. If they did pay him $30 million, they would still have enough room under the luxury tax to offer the full MLE, offer the full mid-level exception, Correct. which would be uh, around $9.5 million next year. And they could definitely get a guy. And they could definitely be under the tax if they if they make some adjustments, but I don't think that they want to cut it that close. And there are definitely some things that they could do if they restructure his deal, like potentially trading for somebody with a trade exception. Yes. That that are appealing for Denver if if they choose to go that route. No, I I expected them to open up options. The reason they paid Paul Millsap three and ninety was not because they expected to pay him all 90. It yeah. was because it looked good to his agent and it looks good to the to the league and you're basically front loading a contract for him, you know, with for 2 years and 60 million dollars knowing that whatever else he gets in his next year or two is not going to be that. Um because no one's going to pay him that. Yeah. Honestly. Denver, Denver did him a solid when they offered him their the 390 deal. It was uh, Yeah. It was $60 million of guaranteed money, and he wasn't getting that from Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta decided they wanted to move on, and they wanted to start rebuilding. And because of that, they were able to acquire guys like Trey Young and Kevin Herter and really jumpstart this rebuild of theirs. Um, without Paul Millsap on the roster, that really helped them. But it, Paul Millsap wasn't getting a lot of offers from other places as well. It just kind of really looked like Denver was the main place to to offer him that money because so many teams had spent their cash in 2016. So glad to see that Denver was able to do that. They really made things work there. But at this point, that commitment to Paul Millsap has fully been satisfied. They gave him $60 million. And now I think it's Paul Millsap's turn to really show them some, uh, show them some willingness if he wants to stick around because they can't pay him 30 million to, do what he did this past year. He was Correct. great. He did he was a probably a twenty million, twenty-five million dollar player, but he's thirty-four, he's gonna turn thirty-five next to next like February or so. And the Nuggets just can't afford to rely on a guy like that because they they need guys in the future who are gonna be able to contribute. So Yeah, they're they're not going to. Like it uh, Paul Millsap will probably be back, and Paul Millsap will almost certainly not be back at $30 million. Those are the two things I can tell you. I think there is an argument to bring him back, though, at the $30 million number. Like, if they if they don't think they're going to use that tra- those trade exceptions that they have, and they think that they could still bring in somebody at the MLE while staying under the tax, and they also think that they want to free up cap space for 2020... Then having thirty million dollars of Paul Millsap coming off the books in twenty twenty looks really appealing. Uh, if they if they're looking at somebody in twenty twenty, like an Anthony Davis or somebody like that, uh, you want to have cap space open and and you want to have the power forward position open. And if if Paul Millsap has a guaranteed number on the books, then that probably doesn't help things. But either way, that's that's getting way too ahead of ourselves. I do think that the most likely option is to decline his option and then restructure that deal, but we will see what happens. Uh, I still a, expect it to be something like a decline the 30, redo at 2 at 36, 
and see what happens. Honestly, that's if, I uh, expect something like that. Hypothetically, in free agency, if the Nuggets were able to acquire one of these five players, I'm going to list them and you tell me, yes, decline Millsap and let him walk. Uh, just to make sure that they have enough money to uh, to get this player. Kevin Durant. Uh, yes. Kawhi Leonard. Yes. Clay Thompson. Oh, see, now we're in tough. Um, probably. Chris Middleton. Probably. Jimmy Butler. I love me some Jimmy, but I don't love him here. I'm going to go no. Tobias Harris. Probably. It's interesting because all those guys are going to be looking for money. And yep. the Nuggets have avenues to be able to give them that money. They, they'll they need to find homes for probably decline decline Paul Millsap's option, obviously. But they'd they also would decline Paul Millsap's f- option. They have to move Plumlee, probably. Or Plumlee Barton. Or Barton. Uh, one yep. of those two guys. And if they did that, then they would have the freedom to be able to give any of those guys a max contract. So... Yeah, Nuggets but only some of those guys to... should get a max contract. Like, that's another one yeah, of those problems. Yeah. But, like, okay, hypothetically, you give Jimmy Butler a four-year deal worth uh, $110 million. Right. Like, that's fine. That's yeah. like, that's what that's what you have to do that's in order reasonable. to give Jimmy Butler. That's what Butler. you'd get him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I – it sucks because I would love to see Jimmy Butler in this team, but watching this past year with Jimmy and all the kids, man, it's very hard to uh, – after watching what happened in Minnesota, to, to be pro-Jimmy Butler to the Nuggets, that that could cause them any number of problems. Yeah, and and the way that Towns has performed in the second half of the season, uh, basically putting up 32-16. and 16, uh, Yep. That's a, a pretty – it says, like, he had the talent to be able to perform, and he was being held back a little bit. Now, the Andrew Wiggins thing, I think that's real. That Andrew Delta, Wiggins. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a different podcast. Yeah. Well, either way, let's let's stay on this last little thing here. I want you to list uh, five free agents that could be either max level guys or bargain bin guys or MLE targets. Five guys that you think the Nuggets should be targeting in free agency. List your first guy. Uh, I'll go Julius Randle. Wow. I don't have Julius Randle on my list. There you go. See? I thought um, I'd uh, change it up for you. It's interesting. We talked a little bit before the podcast, and you talked about having more forwards, more bigs, and I talked about having more wings. So right. that's interesting. I think that, that says that you would probably think that Paul Millsap is gone in that scenario. Well, I think you have to plan for him to be gone, or you're moving uh, Plumley and you're going to play Paul Millsap more at backup center. Interesting. Um, and so if you're willing to do that, to split his time as a as a forward between backup center and starting power forward, if you're willing to do that, then that frees up any number of options for you with more forwards, and and uh, that way you're also covered in case of a Millsap injury, which the Nuggets struggled with this year. Both of those guys would be a great for Jared Vanderbilt to learn from. Yes, yeah, Julius Randle is a hustle machine, man. Like, it's also left-handed. Yep. That's a, so no, that's I a, that's a good target. I, yeah, I, he he's on my list. Just just as an interesting player who 
could fill the Farid role, who can do other things for the Nuggets. Like, there are all sorts of ways you could deploy Julius Randle next to Jokic. That would be interesting. Give me your second guy. Uh, Thaddeus Young. Okay, so another forward kind of... Uh, that's that's a guy that I would think is a standard power forward replacement for Millsap. Correct. That's um, if that's if Millsap is gone, then you have Thaddeus Young who could step in for cheaper, who could do Paul Millsap type things. I like that. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's not a. He's sexy three years name. younger. You know, he's got he's got uh, similar skill sets. He's he's another lunch pail guy. You know, what kind of deal would you offer him? Oh geez, I don't. The problem is he's going to have suitors. Yeah, like that's that's your problem is is what you would offer him versus what you expect him to get might be different things. I would expect probably around three years, forty five million for a guy like that's that. Sounds, yeah, I'm thinking forty five to forty eight million. Yep. Okay, so that would be that would be an interesting target if they went away from Millsap. I don't think they'll go away from Millsap in that situation, but hypothetically, if if Millsap I don't either, but you need a backup plan, else, like you. Or, yeah, you if if Millsap decides he wants to, he he even brought up like you know well I can always just roll into Golden State, play for the MLE or whatever and you yeah. know maybe he starts thinking about it and is like eh, I could I could I could do worse than going to play for Houston or or Golden State or right like he'd be great in Houston Mil- too like that'd play be fine in for them Milwaukee for the MLE and as they replace guys like Nikola Mirotic. Speaking yeah, of Nikola Mirotic, do you have him on your list? I don't, but I thought you would. I I do not. I I honestly wow, you I went, don't. I went all uh, shooting guard, small forward types, which is wow, probably a mistake. But I I don't know. Uh, give me another guy. Uh, well, for me, um, the next guy would be Tobias Harris. Okay. Over or below guys like Randall and and Thad Young. Uh, below no, I this isn't like one to five man, but like. You know, Tobias, there's other guys were power forwards. This is just a, you know, you're looking at Tobias as a, as a scoring three. Um, so you can, he still fits the timeline. He's, you know, what, 26? Is he even 27 yet? I think he's just 26. So Yeah, I think he's 26. You know, Crazy. young guy, fits the timeline perfectly. Um, he might steal money from, or money, uh, he could steal money from him. Could steal uh, minutes from Michael Porter Jr., so, but if you want to bring Michael Porter Jr. along slowly, then that's okay. Yeah, that's a good guy to, and then you could play those guys interchangeably at the three and the four. So correct, you I could like you could that. play some small ball lineups. You could do some really interesting things um, with both of those guys who could both play the three or the four, um, and you give them somebody to learn from. Which right now I don't really want Michael Porter Jr. learning how to play small forward from Will Barton. I think it's a terrible idea. Yeah, I think. There's a really big argument to go the route of just trying to be the best offense in the NBA. Because right, right now, the, the best offenses, or the best three offenses, four offenses, are Golden State, Houston, Portland, and Milwaukee. So, like, yep. three of those four are in the fin- are in the Western and Eastern Conference Finals, and, and then you have Houston, who had to lose to Golden State in order to be there. So Exactly. And so, uh, building an offense, like, defense matters, yes. But if you just want to get out there and you want to outscore some people, the Nuggets the Nuggets almost did that with one and a half scorers. Like they had half of Jamal Murray for half those games. They had Jokic and that was it, man. And they still somehow like took, you know, fourteen games of the playoffs. Yeah. Give me so, another name. Well the next one would be offense, it'd be Clay Thompson. 
Okay. Clay uh, Thompson would be on my list. He, uh, can you think of a better fit as a as a third option behind a Jamal Murray Nikola Jokic two man game than than Clay Thompson? No, although I assume that Clay would want to be the second option if he's going to leave. Oh, he, yeah, he could be the second option. I think I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I'd be okay with Clay being the second option too. And again, he's a kind of killer shooter who just kills the gravity on this team, man. He he would create havoc because right now you got guys not leaving um, Mason Plumley and not leaving Tory Craig or or not not worrying about them at all. Like they just, you know, go ahead, stay out there. I don't care if you shoot. Paul Millsap's going to shoot a three. I don't care. Clay yeah. Thompson's going to shoot a three. I should probably move. <laughs> like, yeah. maybe I should get out there. And that creates all sorts of havoc as you have guys back cutting and guys doing all sorts of things just off of that kind of pressure. He's definitely overrated, but not in the way that the Nuggets need him. They need the yes. the 3 and D archetype, and he's the very best and option. He, yeah, he, he, he plays defense. He's a weirdo. Like these are all good things for Denver. Like, <laughs> yeah, he he fits the Denver culture for sure. That would be that's what that's I'm a, saying. That's a match you. made in heaven. Exactly. Uh, give me your last name, Marcus Morris. Hmm. He had a great start to the season. Really finished poorly. Yep. Uh, that's why he's of, cheap. Kind of a hothead. Kind of a yep. guy that I'm not sure I want in the locker room. Uh, if he's not starting. Um, well, and that would be your question is, where do you play Marcus Morris? But the problem is, the dude shoots, like, what, five threes a game? Yeah. You know, um, you don't get spacing from the rest of your front court. One of the things Denver was really, really missing this year was Wancho being able to hit open threes, was Lyles being able to hit open threes. Nobody hit anything. You know, Morris shoots threes like he's Jamal Murray. They have similar three-point percentages. I think if you have confidence that Wancho's going to be back and ready and healthy and, and that the the core injury that he sustained was what was really impacting him, then I don't think you go for a guy like Marcus Morris just because I think that that could really destabilize things. But I do see what you're saying. And if they had to trade a guy like Wancho in a package And that's for, what I, for that where I'm else. coming at it from is that they are removing depth. This would be one of those things that you would do if you were trading um, a couple of guys – um, to address a situation, whatever it might be, but you had to throw in Wancho, you had to throw in Vanderbilt, whatever you had to throw in, then you need a guy who's in the rotation, who can play in the playoffs, who can play in the regular season, who can stretch the floor, who can make sure that um, uh, you can cover some more powerful minutes. Again, if you're moving Millsap to, to part five, especially for the playoffs, because you just can't play Plumlee. If that happens yeah. again... You're going to need somebody who can shoot the ball. And they didn't have it, and it hurt them. I agree. I That's that's 100% I agree. Um, so I don't got, think I would feel comfortable. I don't think I would feel comfortable with him in my starting five. But if he's a backup, then that's fine. That's, that's if, you're, if you're telling him that he's going to be the sixth man, then, you know, that's then that works out just fine. Yeah. 100%. Uh, so the guys that I more went with were... The along the lines of MLE guys and bargain sure. bin guys, just yep. because I don't think that, uh, I don't think that Denver is going to go away from Paul Millsap. I don't think that they're going to get a high tier free agent, somebody right. that that you want to decline his option for. 
Oh, I agree. I don't think they're getting... There's no Kawhi, Kemba, Kyrie. Those guys aren't coming. It'd be great if Kawhi showed up, but that's not going to happen. Yeah. The guy, the five guys that I listed, or, or six guys that I listed earlier, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Clay Thompson, Chris Middleton, Jimmy Butler. I think if you, you go down the list and you, you go after all of those guys, and or at least put out feelers there to see if any of them are interested in coming to Denver. And if they are, then then maybe you go down that route and you decline Millsap's option. But sure, uh, I think you're going to decline it anyway, of course. But right now what I would expect is the first guy I have on my list is Danny Green. I can see Danny, and I expect you to put him on there. Yeah, he's he's right in my right in my wheelhouse. He, he's in your guys. wheelhouse, man. That guy that guy's right in your business. Three and D shot a great percentage from three this year. He can defend opposing point guards and shooting guards. He's he's a guy that I think you can throw on James Harden. He's a guy that right. you can throw on Chris Paul. Uh, he's a guy that you can throw on Steph Curry or Clay Thompson. So I don't think he's going to defend Kevin Durant, but hopefully you don't have to worry about that. Um, next yeah, guy, is, Kevin Durant needs to be in the East. So as long yeah. as he's in the East, everything is fine. <laughs> Next guy is Trevor Ariza, uh, another in that mold. I don't think he's a long-term option. I think he's a guy that— I was going to say, that, that's like, definitely a one-year stopgap sort of a guy, or maybe two years, I guess. Yeah, so you give him a, a two-year deal with a player option on the end at the MLE price. That's kind of what I would think. Right. Um, flyer target for me would be James Ennis. Played really well in Philadelphia during the playoffs. Uh, didn't have a great year up until that point, but I don't. I think was going to say, yeah, that's that's a small sample size of of goodness, but I hear it's, you. It's not easy to play when because he, he started out in Houston as kind of a, a primary replacement for Trevor Ariza, and I don't think that's right. an easy place to to play if you're not getting involved. And I think that Nikola Jokic would keep him involved, and he would be able to shoot a reasonable percentage. He crashes the glass really well. Kind of like a Tory Craig, but he shoots better. I don't trust Tory Craig's three point percentage for anything. So, well, and that's the question, really. Like, uh, how much better? How much better is he than than Tory Craig? Because that's whose minutes he would be taking, in my opinion. I don't think it's a problem to add another guy like that because I think that if you're Michael Malone, you'd be what's better than one Tory Craig, two Tory Craigs. <laughs> okay, um, I can see that. So you've got you've got options there, especially if guys are going down, or if you've got a guy like Michael Porter Jr. who eh, can't really count on him for back to back, so you need to insert another guy. So right. another guy is Damari Carroll, kind of in that same mold of, of of a Trevor Ariza. He would start. He could potentially be a small ball four. Uh, that's a guy who I think you could learn from a little bit. And then Dorian Finney-Smith was another guy who's a younger player, who's more athletic, he's more defensive-minded, uh, kind of in the range of a uh, hmm, who's a who's a good prototype for him. I guess he he'd be kind of like filling the OGN and Obi role. Uh, okay. If, if you had him as a fifth starter, then then he's a guy who would be like a Tory Craig on your best defender. Uh, on your on the best opposing player, that's what I mean. Um, but that's that's kind of really scraping the bottom of the barrel at that point. There aren't a lot of guys beyond the top tier that I would really commit a large amount of money to, which means that you're going to have to go for trades or you're going to have to go at different positions uh, in terms of wings. Uh, I really do think that Denver needs a big wing. Like that's that's a position where. You need to add as many six foot eight bodies as you can in order to 
match up with the Golden States, match up with the Houstons of the world. Uh, well, they're, and they're adding two, though. Like, they're going to add – they might add three. Like, depending on how you feel, um, Vlatko – I think Vlatko's a pure four, but, you know, you're going to add a six nine guy with a 7-foot wingspan in Vanderbilt. You're going to add a six ten, six eleven guy in in Michael Porter Jr. Like, those guys are, are already going to be added. Like, that's what's so weird about this team is trying to figure out who you can add if things work out. Which is why I kind of went the short-term route. Yeah, going with, yeah like, I can one understand year, that. two-year contracts, guys who can really be mentors in that situation. Maybe at that point they don't necessarily play a ton. Like, Damari Carroll, I think he could be a guy who you could ask him to start occasionally or you could ask him he's not going to play and say, hey, look, we need to get these guys some looks. We we think that this is a great opportunity for you to rest and get ready for the playoffs. And, and that's right. fine. Uh, but it'll be interesting. I'm I'm interested to see what the Nuggets do. I'm not sure how it's going to pan out, but I think we're going to see some activity out of Denver. There aren't going to be like I think they're going to pop up in a lot of rumors. That's my... I well I think they have so many guys. They're going to be rumor central. You know, well we could add Will Barton. We could go get Gary Harris. Maybe they would trade us Jamal Murray and something for our major player. Maybe yeah. you would. It's, that's what it's going to be, man. Like uh, they have so many players. Maybe we can get Michael Porter Jr. out of there. Maybe we can, you know, whatever. The Nuggets have so many young players and so many unknown players and so many just interesting random players. Really crazy thought just popped into my head. Michael Porter Jr. hypothetically just balls out at summer league. First game is against the New Orleans Pelicans and Zion Williams. And Zion, yep. What if they decide, hey, maybe it'd be nice if we paired those two guys together? Well, and that's your question, right? Like, if, you, if you're going to trade for AD, Michael Porter's going to go. Yep. Like, I don't know how you're going to get him without throwing in Michael Porter Jr. Because either that or you're going to throw in Jamal Murray. Uh, Correct. I still think you would have to throw in somebody like Barton or Harris, yeah. as well as... Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr. and I don't think they're going to give up on Jamal Murray. I think even be, for AD. I think he, there was a there was a trade proposal that I saw a couple of days ago that said Porter, Malik Beasley, and Paul Millsap after you pick up his option and maybe another piece and a first or something like that for Anthony Davis and then taking back a contract like Solomon Hill. I think that's pretty reasonable if you're if you're looking at Denver as a as an option to then add a a Danny Green or a, a guy on the MLE, and then you've got Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Anthony Davis, and Nikola Jokic still on the same team. And so, it's crazy. Again, those are the things that Denver should be exploring because they have enough guys that they can give up a piece that might hurt them to lose in order to add an actual legit star next to Jokic and make it so that Jamal Murray doesn't have to be that star next year. I agree. I agree. It's uh it would be nice to see. I hope that Jamal or I hope that Jamal takes that star turn just because I think it makes everything a lot easier. But Well yeah, not, man. Then... I also want, you know, Nikola Jokic to turn into Will Chamberlain <laughs> on defense. Well it makes everything easier, dude. I don't even know Hey man, he put Why up. We're having this conversation. Put up twenty five, thirteen, and eight in the playoffs. I know. I'm telling you, man. 
Jokic, Jokic is unbelievable. We, we haven't talked about him really on this podcast because yeah. we don't have to because everybody knows Jokic is unbelievable. Like, uh, as far as a centerpiece, the Nuggets haven't had anything like this in 30 years. I'd go longer than that. It's nice to just pencil in a top 10 player and say, yeah, you're a top 10 player no matter what. And you could be top five very, very soon. So, yep. You're gonna be a. You're gonna be a. Uh, you're on a Hall of Fame track. His first four years of his career, he's a Hall of Fame track guy. Hopefully, some of these free agents want to play with him, man. That would be really yeah. cool. Yeah. Give Kawhi Leonard a call. He needs a tandem. Sir, uh, I, I'm telling you, the the greatest thing that would happen for us would be if uh, Kawhi Leonard took that call and said, "You know what? That seems like fun. Let's go have fun." I don't look like I ever have fun, but let's do it anyway. Jesus. Because they they would just demolish people. It would be hilarious. I'm looking forward to it. Um, all right, so I don't really have anything else. Do you, do you have anything you want to get off nope. your chest? I'm just uh, I'm thrilled with the way the Nuggets season went. I wish they could have gotten one more round out of it, but they were tired, man. They were tired. Nobody got hurt in the playoffs, really. Right. I'm happy for that. I'm glad they didn't get hurt playing in ridiculous minutes. Yeah, you 65 know. minutes. Yeah, yeah, ridiculous minutes. <laughs> like I am so, I'm so happy that the Nuggets escaped without inj- major injury. That everybody is good to go. That you know you have a nice summer to relax and get ready. All their young players can go ahead and hit summer league and do whatever they're gonna do. Like the Nuggets' future is immensely bright. There's there's nothing to be sad about. Connolly came back. Like the Nuggets have the band together. They're keeping the band together for the foreseeable future. Um, pending any sort of crazy trade for an amazing superstar, which, if that happens, how can you be unhappy with it? So, On that yeah. note, Gordon, thanks for coming yep. on, man. Hey, man, glad to be here. Uh, and we have all summer to talk about this, so, yeah, let's do it. He is at GMoneyNugs on Twitter. Got anything you want to plug? Nope. Sweet. Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Denver Stiffs Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Thanks for listening this long if you stuck around, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Adios. Adios.